Welcome to the Walk Podcast of the Thompson Institute, a podcast for students and faculty on your walk across campus as a resource for your spiritual journey. I'm Aaron Badenhop. And I'm Jordan Browning. And we are your hosts and fellow Buckeyes. On this special episode of The Walk, we interrupt our regular interviews with faculty and scholars to share with you a little snippet of a recent lecture at Ohio State by New Testament scholar Dr. William Mounts. Dr. Mounts came to Ohio State to share about why he finds the New Testament to be historically reliable. In a day and age where many in the university context assume that the New Testament is flawed and irrelevant, please listen in on what Dr. Mounts had to say on this important topic. Can anybody prove anything? If somebody comes up to you and says, I'll believe the Bible if you can prove it to me, what would you say? If one of your professors comes up and says, prove it, what would you say? It wouldn't be what? Yeah, it wouldn't be faith anymore. But they would say, well, fine, ditch faith. That, that faith, that's what your mom and dad had. We're scientists here. We only believe what we can see. What's the fallacy in that argument? It's a faith statement. Any system that deals with ultimate realities, whether it's a religion or a philosophy or naturalism or atheism or Christianity, they're all faith systems. They have to believe in their faith system. Someone says, well, I don't believe there's anything outside the material, tangible world, right? I'm a scientist. Your response is, can you prove that? Can you prove that there is nothing outside of the material world? The answer, of course, is no, you can't. It's impossible. So when somebody asks you to prove that the Bible is true, they're asking an unfair question because they can't prove what they believe. Ultimately, all of these systems that deal with ultimate realities our faith system. Do you know the story of C.S. Lewis and the little boy in the fishbowl? I forget which of his books it's in, but there's this fish in a fishbowl, and he he's, thinks he's hot snot on a silver platter, and he's just kind of swimming around. That's an old expression, isn't it? You ever heard that one? You think you're hot snot on a silver platter, you're really a cold burger on a paper plate? <laughs> and okay, um, I am 65. Okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, there's this, there's this fish swimming around. He, he's, he's got his world under control. There's a rock there. There's a leaf there. I, I've, it, this is my world. This is all that there is. And then someday a little boy comes by and throws a rock in. And the fish looks at the rock and went, uh-oh. Where did that rock come from? That's not part of my material world. It, I could ignore it. I could believe that it's not there, like Buddhism. Or I could accept there's something outside the natural world. See, see the analogy? It's a great analogy. I'm sure C.S. Lewis would appreciate my endorsement. Um, <clears throat> but the point is, no matter what you or anyone believe, it's a belief system. So by starting by saying, can you prove the Bible's true, it's an unfair question because you can't prove anything, okay? That was, that was uh, my first point. Here's where I want to spend most of our first hour. And by the way, we're gonna, uh, they asked me to talk on two different topics, uh, believing the Bible and how to study the Bible. So we'll, we'll go about an hour and take a break and see how you, what you want to do. But you're the boss, so we'll do what you want to do. 
The second reason I believe the Bible is true is that there's so many attacks against them, I don't find any of them convincing. I'd like to think that I'm honest enough that if there were really serious problems with the Bible, then I would be honest and accept it and say, yeah, that's a real problem. I I don't think I can believe it because of X, Y, and Z. Um, But as I've looked at all the different attacks on Scripture and spent most of my life analyzing them, I just, I'm not convinced by any of them. And so what I want to do is to go through um, some of these things. And if you go to biblicaltraining.org, under the classes menu, there's an option called Foundations. It's level one foundations. If you go there, there's a course on why I trust my Bible. I'm going to give, this is a summary of that class, okay? So if you want more information or some of the bibliography, you can get it um, off of the website. And there's a lot of issues uh, that we, oh, this is just how you get there. Don't mind. Let me go. There we go. You're a bunch of millennials. You can get through a website. <coughs> At church, I have to, okay, you put the mouse here, you press once. No, once, not twice. Okay, all right. There's, there's a lot of questions that I'm going to discuss in that class. Uh, there are some people that don't think Jesus even lived. I remember watching some late night show, and, and Bill Maher was on there, and he said, ah, Jesus never lived. If you get an uh, uh, encyclopedia from Russia during the Cold War, they have one sentence on Jesus, the mythical creator of a philosophy. There are people that still argue that Jesus never existed, which would be really strange that the most influential person in the history of the world never existed. But anyway, that's one of the, I'm just going to mention these in passing so you're aware of them. Uh, Some people will, oh, I'm sorry. Some people will argue that the biblical writers didn't want to be historically accurate. The counter is that of all religions, Christianity has to have happened. If Christianity didn't happen, it's wrong. Uh, if, if, If Buddha, if the Buddha never lived, Buddhism would still be a cogent system. If Christianity wasn't true, it can't. It, if it didn't actually happen, it wouldn't be true. Uh, there's some questions about the authorship of the Gospels. Did Paul change the message of the Gospel? There's, there's a lot of different attacks like that, but this is one of the main ones, and it has to do with something called oral tradition. You know, what's oral tradition? Or what's orality? You familiar with that term? We live in a, in a written culture. In fact, there are times where I'm lecturing and I'm saying notes. I say, put the pen down and think. <laughs> Not just pick it on you. Um, because we, we're so a r- much of a written culture that we just write things down and it kind of bypasses our brain. And sometimes the teacher wants you to know, I really want you to think through this. So put the pen down. I know it's hard for you, but stop writing. We live in a written culture. That's how we function. Most of the world doesn't. Most of the world is an oral culture. Most of the world tells its stories, its myths, its theology orally by, uh, by word of mouth. What's going on in this particular issue is that there was a gap between the event of Jesus living and dying and the Gospels being written down. Okay, there's a period of time where the story was told orally. And they'll liken it to the telephone game. You get 12 people and you whisper something in an ear and by the time it comes all the way around, it's totally different, right? Um, and so the charges, because there is this gap, 20, 30, 40 years maybe, of where the stories of Jesus were told and not being written down, that therefore they can't be trusted. 
because certainly no who can remember anything for 40 years right right okay all right it's it, if true it would be very serious because 30 40 years is a quite a bit of time to pervert or to change uh, a message of someone That was the definition. Charges that it's untrustworthy. This is Professor Ehrman's book, How Jesus Became God. Uh, that it's an old, old tenet that Jesus was the kind Galilean prophet who walked alongside the sea and taught the brotherhood of, of man. I guess you can't say that anyway. Uh, <laughs> that we're all one family and God's our father. Certainly he never claimed to be God. And Ehrman takes this and it's how a human Jesus came to be viewed as a God. I got a, uh, I got a lift ride the other day to the airport and I had a devout Muslim as a driver and we had a fascinating conversation. I asked him what the beads were and, and we kind of talked and we got to this point and, and this guy was just repeating Araman to me. He didn't know it. Oh no, the Bible never says that Jesus says he was God. The church changed it. Jesus, Jesus never was a God. He was just a prophet. And I'm sitting like, my goodness, you need to write a book and make a million dollars. That's what Araman did. But anyway, um, that's the book that is referenced. And this is one of the counters, obviously trying to imitate it, how God became Jesus. So it's, there are books on this topic. But in your, class, in your classes, what you might hear is historical, Christ, uh, historical Jesus, Christ of faith. Have you heard that phrase? And the idea is the historical Jesus was this purely human person who never wanted to church, never did miracles, because everyone knows you can't do miracles, right? right <laughs> and then the church changed him into christ this to god anyway those are just some of the terms let me let's talk about orality because this is such an important issue in an oral culture as i said the traditions and when i say tradition i don't mean they're made up it's just the word we use the traditions of what jesus said and what jesus did are passed on orally they're told on by word of mouth well there was a missionary to the bedouins named kenneth bailey who years ago realized that he could go to one area of the Middle East and hear a story. And he could go to another area of the Middle East and hear almost exactly the same story. And these two tribes had never met. Now, how did that happen? He could talk to very old Bedouins and very young Bedouins and hear exactly the same stories. How did that happen? Bedouin culture is an oral culture. And when you have an oral culture, you use your mind in ways that written cultures don't. Did you know that the many little Greek children would memorize the entire Iliad and Odyssey? Memorize it word for word. 100,000 words. I know you're going, I can't even remember what's on the test tomorrow. That's because you don't live in an oral culture. Our brains are capable of doing things that you can't imagine that they can do. Luke's 20,000, Iliad and Odyssey are 100,000. Uh, if you were in a rabbinical school, you were not allowed to talk about a passage until you'd memorized it in Hebrew perfectly. And there are many rabbis that have memorized every single word of the Hebrew scriptures. The human mind, if you don't have Facebook, if you don't have texting, <laughs> if you don't have written tests, if you don't have all the interruptions that we do, if you grow up, up by, you learn to read by reading the Bible, if it's the center of your culture, the human mind is capable of immense amount of memory. And all you have to do is go to the Bedouin tribes and you'll hear it. The point is oral culture's memory is unbelievably reliable and it's all been very, very well attested. 
There's also other arguments like if uh, we, when we remember things, we remember the core. Maybe we're not really sure on some of the details, but the core is, is we really remember it. And as you look at the Gospels, you compare Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll see that the, when a story appears in multiple Gospels, the core is almost always identical. Maybe some of the details on the edges are different, but the core is different. Memory is better if you have something at stake. You all remember the Challenger disaster? What blew on the Challenger? Do you think if, yeah, the O-ring. Do you think if you were an astronaut, you would have remembered that better? Yeah, you, you, would, you would know a lot more about the Challenger disaster if you were part of that world. If, 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 if uh, rockets and going to the moon and going to outer space were really, really important to you. There's something at stake. And if you're a Christian and you're being killed for your faith, you're going to make sure that what you're learning is true and your, your memory is going to kick in better. What I'm trying to say is in oral cultures, as hard as it is to remember, is that the human mind is capable of remembering things way beyond what a written culture gives it credit for. Does that make sense? All right. I remember being a snot-nosed kid in college, and I was arguing with my history teacher about something in the Odyssey, and I stood up in class. I said, I'm Odysseus, great Laertes' son, for cunning plans of every kind, and even the heaven has spread my fame. My native land is Ithaca, a low, bright island off the shore that lies, lies out lies off to the shore and towards the east. Rugged is this land of mine, and yet breeds a sturdy youth, and yet I can find no land more sweet to me than miss my, miss my native Ithaca. Okay, that, that's the first four lines of the one of those two poems. That's all I can remember. <laughs> but I remember it. Does this make point? Oral cultures remember things really, really well. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this snippet of our lecture uh, with Dr. William Mounts. If you're interested in listening or watching the rest of the lecture, please click on the link in the episode notes. And stay tuned, as in two weeks we're going to release our next episode uh, in our interview with Professor Scott LaCrosse of the Fisher College of Business. Thanks so much for listening to the walk of the Thompson Institute. The personal views presented by the scholars and professors on our podcast do not represent the views of their employer. For upcoming events and for more information, visit the thompsoninstitute.org, a program of CREW at Ohio State.